This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 149 of the Stable Scoop Radio Show. How good riders get good with Denny Emerson. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. This episode is sponsored by Equestrian Collections at equestriancollections.com. Plus, Uncle Jimmy's. You can find him and all of his cool products at uncle-jimmy's.com. This is Glenda Geek. And this is Helena B. And you're listening to the Stable Scoop Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. Well, good morning, Helena. Good morning, Glenn. How are you doing today? Okay. We have a fun show planned for today. You're going to do a book review, and not only that, you're going to actually get the author on to review it with him. I'm really excited to talk to the author today. We're going to have Denny Emerson on with us, and he's going to talk about his new book, How Good Riders Get Good, uh, Daily Choices That Lead to Success in Any Equestrian Sport. And this is such a great body of knowledge to have. I was really excited that Denny put this out, and he's... You know, there are a lot of well-known trainers out there, well-known horse people. I think Denny has probably the most well-deserved reputation. It's a good reputation, but uh, he has probably the the greatest dose of common sense (laughs) that um, I've ever known. Tell tell everybody, uh, you know, a little bit about him that don't know him from Adam. Okay, well, yeah. Uh, Denny Emerson is, well, gosh, if you read the book, you'll find out that he's a whole lot more than just an inventor, but that's what he's, he's most well-known for. He, um, he's been president of the U.S. Eventing Association, the Green Mountain Horse Association. He's based up in uh, Vermont, up here in New England. He's been vice president of the U.S. Equestrian Team. Uh, he's in all kinds of halls of fame. Uh, he went to Dartmouth College. He's in their Athletic Hall of Fame, and he is by far one of the most influential horsemen of the 20th century. He teaches and coaches gazillions of riders, and um, all of them have achieved great success. So he is um, he's our, our big-time guest today. I mean, he's right up there for me, personally. He's up there with Gina Miles. Yeah, I know you've been looking forward to this, and I've met Denny before, and he's quite a character. Not only, this will not be a dry interview, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Denny is... Uh, he is a character. He, he's, he's fun to talk to, and he's fun to listen to. So I think everybody's really going to enjoy this today. Yeah. But, he, um, the other thing that he does, and I have to ask him about this after we talk. Somehow I'm going to have to sneak it in, but he owns Tamarack Farm, like I said, up in um, Vermont. And one of the things that he offers is a camp for adults, an eventing camp for grownups. By the way, which, if, I, yeah. I wanted to say, if you follow him on Facebook, just look what's T-A-M, uh, what is it, uh, T-A-M-A-R-A-C-K, it's Tamarack Hill Farm. If you follow him on Facebook uh, and just search for Tamarack Hill Farm, he really posts some p- classic vintage pictures from the past. Oh, I know. He has some know. great stuff, and he's always posting on there. You know, for, for a guy, for a guy Denny's age, he is out there uh, doing new media to the 10th degree. He's he's always been a little bit ahead of the curve, and I think that's what makes him so special. Is uh, he's not one of those old school horse trainers who stayed old old school. He's one of those people who actually pushed the horse world forward because he's right. a forward thinking kind of guy. And now I've never actually met him in person. I would love to, and I could sit and listen to him tell stories all, all night long. 
but I have been following his everything he writes. I follow his posts on Chronicle of the Horse, um, which and, and are this, always so well timed and so diplomatic. Well, tell us about the book. So, what do you think of the book? Before we get him on, <laughs> okay, the book is um, it's a collection of uh, of I don't want to say tips, but it's, it's like guidance. His articles he's written, right? It's it's basically yeah, and it's really it's a body of knowledge on on not how good writers get good technically, but what makes a good a successful competitor. And horse person, do you want to be a winning competitor? Do you want to be an effective rider? Do you want to stay on during a hunt? Um, you know, whatever it is your goal is, however you define success, he outlines it in, in each chapter. And the chapters go from, um, you know, deciding what kind of sport is right for you, uh, how to, the difference between choices in your riding career and opportunities, you know, um, how to create a network of support. So if you are the type of person who has Olympic dreams, you have to know you can't do it by yourself. So these are all words of wisdom from someone who's been there and done that. I guess that's what I would say. These are words of wisdom and they're practical words. Not like, oh, you know, if you dream it, it'll happen. That's bull. This is actual practical information that you can you, you can sit down, you can read, you can chew on it, and then you can put it to practice for you. And I think that when you, after everybody gets to know uh, Denny a little bit today, they'll understand that he is not the "if you dream it, you can it can happen" kind of person. He is the "get it done" kind of person. Um, you know, you can dream it all day long, but then you got to go out and do something. Uh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, he's that kind of person, and I think he doesn't sugarcoat any of no, it. No, like, no, no. Oh, you know, if you, you no, he, I'll he, have my beeper button ready today. Well, why? What's your beeper? He button? doesn't sugarcoat much. No, no, no. <laughs> and that is so refreshing. I have such a low tolerance for disingenuous people, for BS, for you know when when a politician is asked a question. They don't really – they say something, but they never really answer the question. They, they say something. They put words out there, but they're right. meaningless words. Uh, Denny is not about that, and well, that's – And you what know what? I, you know, if you think about it uh, uh, here at the Horse Radio Network, we're, we're really not – certainly not me. We're really not about that either. We kind of just say it the way it is, and I think that's why, what people like. Well, the truth – you know, the – yeah, BS doesn't help anybody. The truth does. It's not always pretty. But it does help. So I think this book is probably uh, one of the most helpful additions to any any horse person's library. Cool. And so, so out of five flakes and a bale, what do you give it? Five flakes. Really? Yeah. He gets a full bale? Yeah, I like wow, it. Five, definitely like five it. flakes for the content. Um, well, I, you know what? I would say four and five-eighths flakes. <laughs> the only thing that I don't like about this book. Yeah. In fact, I don't just don't like it. I hate it with a passion. Is the font they used for the typeface? Oh, really? It's very difficult to read. Yeah. Oh, and you're a font person. You're a font phobic. <laughs> and you know, I don't wear glasses. I have twenty twenty vision. Um, and well, if you couldn't read it, then certainly I'm not going to be able to read it. It's, it's is it just uh, the 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 font type they used? In, in other words, it's the typeface. Yeah, it's a it's a certain type of serif font um i mean there's a there's several different fonts that are used in the book so it, it the you entire know, book isn't that's weird usually in books they don't play with fonts they use the standard font that everybody's used to and that's all they do well it 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 kind of looks like a standard font but 
I don't know. There, maybe it's just my particular copy, but uh, no, it's pretty. It's pretty difficult for me to well, read. I, it made my eyes go googie. Well, I think the uh, the the people that uh, publish this book will uh, Trafalgar Square will probably be listening to this today. So <laughs> there's your message to them. Get a different font. Not that you can't read it. You just have to read it in like a soft light, you know. Yeah. If if you find the right lighting, it won't be so bad. Hey, did you get a Kindle yet? No, but you know, I was talking to a family member who did, and uh, she loves it. I know. And you know, I always thought it'd be a dumb idea. And by the way, the Kindles are down one hundred nineteen bucks now. Um, and I always thought it would be a dumb idea. Why do you need a Kindle when you can just read it on the computer or on you know whatever? And, but yet, everybody, everybody that owns one loves it. Well, my it's my aunt who who got one for her birthday, and she's totally not a techie, you know. Like she's lucky if she has a digital watch, and it all you know, and a big button cell phone. Um, so <laughs> she still has one of those cell phones that you carry around in a case. <laughs> <laughs> so she anyway, her daughter's got her this Kindle, and she's like a romance novel f- addict, and she's like downloading her romance novel novels onto her Kindle, like it's going out of style, and she absolutely loves it. So when she said she liked it, I said, well, maybe I'll give it a try. Because reading things on the computer is really difficult. Well, not only that, when you want to read, when you want to sit down and read, you don't want a laptop in your lap. Or, or you, like Jennifer goes outside and reads on the back porch, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. You just don't want a laptop around or, you know, it's just a pain. Well, the, the, the human eye responds differently to words on a printed page reading from left to right than they do on a computer screen. Um. This is in my previous career. We did some usability stub- studies on website design, on information design. Um, you know, just how words and pictures are put on a page, and you study the way the human eye follows it. And on a computer, typic- people typically scan vertically from top to bottom, looking for keywords that are of interest to in them. And once they find those keywords, they their brain then says, "Okay, you are ready to invest." couple of extra seconds in reading this text from left to right. Or like me, you're just looking for pretty pictures. Oh, me too. I'm, I'm <laughs> a totally a picture person. So anyway, the point is, is for the Kindle to have overcome that the, the, your brain's natural tendency to scan vertically on an electronic device is a pretty big deal. Well, let's, let's do this. Let's get Denny on. I think he's probably waiting for our call about this point. So let's uh, Denny Emerson on the line here. And uh, we can chat with him a little bit about the book, which obviously Helena just hated. Um, <laughs> I was I drinking was, water. <laughs> I think that's the highest flake rating that uh, we've ever given a book. Four and five eighths. And we're going to take a break before we get Denny on here for a commercial with Equestrian uh, Collections. We appreciate their support of the show. And we'll be back with Denny Emerson. For over a year now, we've been telling you about all the cool things happening at Equestrian Collections and the variety and selection of products they have at fantastic prices. But today, we want to talk to you a little bit about their social networking and what a community they have built on Facebook. If you go to Facebook and search for Equestrian Collections, you're going to find that over 20,000 fans are now following Equestrian Collections on Facebook. And, And the reason is they have a dynamic community built over there. You know, on uh, most store sites, most company sites on Facebook will just promote product and things like that. That's not what happens on Equestrian Collections. Yeah, there's a little bit of that, 
but mostly it's the community sharing pictures, talking about stories, asking questions of each other. It's an active, vibrant community, like a little forum right there on Facebook. Search for Equestrian Collections on Facebook or stop over to equestriancollections.com for all of your horse and rider needs. So, Denny, the subtitle of your book is Daily Choices That Lead to Success in Any Equestrian Sport. And the book actually starts with uh, finding the right riding sport or discipline for you. How does a person go about finding out what that is? I mean, you spent pretty much a whole lifetime trying or not trying, but it, you know, riding through different types of, of sports. How does the average person or the person just starting out, how do they know, how do they do that? How do they get started without spending 60 years doing it? Well, I think that they don't um, know ahead of time, um, presumably, what, what sport would suit them the best, uh, because I think you either come into a sport a particular kind of riding sport because that's what your friends do or your parents do or your family does, or it's something that's available to you, um, you know, if you're not from a horsey family. Um, and, the, and the reason I talk about that is I think that <clears throat> all of us have a different, you know, sort of psychological profile. There are people who are risk takers. There are people who are very you know, measured and introspective. There are people who are sort of out there. There are people who are very studious. Um, and, you know, to, to get into a sport that is, that doesn't fit your personality um, means, doesn't mean that you can't do well in it, but it means that you're sort of fighting, fighting your nature, you know, and you might have to fight it all your life if you are a basically um, highly introspective disciplined kind of person and you find yourself, you know, living in a place where everybody does barrel racing or um, three-day eventing, and, and probably you should be doing something that is more in keeping with your own personality. So uh, it's, it's, I don't know the answer to that other than to sort of look inside yourself and think, you know, is this sport, does it, does it make sense for who I feel like I am? Right, right. But you also talk about reading, gaining, educating yourself in the horse world, reading everything you can get your hands on, talking to people, finding out about everything there is, not only about the horse, but about the the different sports that you can get involved in. So, um, I mean, if you're an adrenaline junkie, you know, maybe a career in dressage might not be the right thing for you. Exactly. Or, or the, or vice versa, you know, if you're, if you're an adrenaline junkie, um, or if you're, or if you're a, not an adrenaline junkie or not a risk taker, you know, you probably shouldn't do bareback bronc riding. You think? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that would come to mind. <laughs> so one of the things, um, you know, I found very interesting was, well, actually, well, yeah, choices and opportunities, um, you in the book you describe two different paths taken by two different women, Sally and Andrea, in chapter right. three. And, and I, I thought, of, yep, go ahead. I'm I sorry. thought that was such a a frank, realistic approach to what what actually happens in the real world. You know, there's Glenn and I were talking before just before you came on about oh, oh if you dream it, if you believe it, it can happen. And you know what? That's that's a lot of BS. There's life that gets in the way, and. You chronicle Sally's choices in her life and Andrew's choices in her life. Talk a little bit about that. Well, you know, the 
time in your life when you really get hooked on horses, you know, is probably what? 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, somewhere along in there is when most people get bitten by the bug. And those are also times in your life when you are subjected to external forces all over the place, you know, whether you are going to go to school, whether you're going to go to college, whether you're going to get married young, whether you're going to have children, whether you're going to, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's where you live. You're very often, you're not dependent upon where you live. Your, your parents decide where you live because you live in their house when you're a kid. And, and so it's, it's a very hard thing. You feel like you're in a maelstrom. You know, you're being bounced around all over the place by circumstance. And at some point, I think the people that decided that, you know, like if you read the profiles of the 23 other people in that, in that book, at some point, somewhere in there, you know, late teens, early 20s, most of those people decided that they had a path that they were going to start to take. And I think that most people at that age aren't that introspective yet. They don't really analyze and think about what's going to happen. And I'll bet you the same thing is true. Denny, I would say that about a lot of 40-year-olds. <laughs> yeah, and it's also true, you know, it's also true about, let's say you're going to become a doctor or a lawyer or a veterinarian or a dentist or any of the professions. You have to, you have to, at some point, quite young, make that determination because if you if you go through college and now you're 26 or 7 and you say gee I should have been a doctor you know what are the odds that you'll ever go back and redo it all they're tiny aren't they and so I think that I think that the you know in my hypothetical example of the girl that got married you know didn't take the working student position didn't want to sell her horse didn't want to you know didn't want to leave her boyfriend that's fine that happens to people every day but Ten years later, it shut the door on her becoming the kind of rider that she might have been. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but if if riding had been her top priority, then it wouldn't have been the correct series of choices. Well, and, that's a really interesting point because so it, what we're seeing here or what you're seeing and you have seen in your career is that there are these series of forks in the road for each rider. Yeah. And the choice you make at those forks obviously determines the route that you take in life. Uh, but – if 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 riders need to make this decision, their first fork is at a young age. Um, it can be. It can be at a young age. Um, who's there to help them? Who's there to help these people guide them through? That's, I guess, what I'm thinking. Is you, we can't, you know, since no man is an island, as you say. Uh, what's that 14 year old? Who is is she supposed to look to? Her parents, herself, she's obviously not mature enough to make that because it's a commitment. You have to say, okay, I am now ready to commit to this path. I'm going to take the, the left-hand fork and I'm going to commit to it. A 14-year-old, like you said, is, is not introspective enough to do that. Maybe her parents are not horsey. Then she's left with you know, her trainer, her friends. Yeah, well, is there anybody be, reliable there that she well, can count you've on? Be, you've got to be very careful because – because the people that might advise you to give up all to just become a horse person um, might not be guiding you the right in the right direction. I mean, I don't think that there's any um, basic um, 
con- you know, I, I think it's possible to get a decent education and become a good rider. I don't think it has to be or should be one or the other. I think that if a kid has a chance to go to college and get a degree, that doesn't preclude them from becoming a top rider. And and I think that if you just say, you know, if so in other words, I don't trust the person that says, give it all up at age 16 to just go do horses, forget having an education, because that really shuts a lot of doors too. So I think that if somebody, I mean, there are plenty of kids that are never going to go past high school, um, and that's fine. But if it's if it's in the cards that you could theoretically, you know, your parents are supportive, you have the grades, you have the board scores, and you could go to college, why not do both? So I think that you've got to be careful who gives you the advice, um, because they can they can shut you out of a lot of opportunities if they say just go be a horse junkie at age 17 instead of going to college. Um, I don't know if that, that, that's maybe yeah. a long, long way to answer that, but I, I think, I think you've got to be very, very careful who you listen to. How much of that, I'm gonna, on the same thought, how much of that at the age of, at, in, the, in the teens, you know, I'm talking, this could, by the way, this whole conversation could relate to tennis or basketball or oh, anything. 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 Yeah. Yep. Uh, how much of that is it innate desire in the individual and really has no bearing on the outside world. Like we've all seen those kids that are so driven and they're driven naturally. Do you believe in that? Or do you think that there's always an outside force or, or does, does a lot of this come from inside? Oh, I think a ton of it comes from inside. Okay. I think, I think that, I think that probably that, you know, they call it all kinds of things, hunger, drive, desire, fire in the belly. You know, there's a, there's a million terms, obsession, you know, fanaticism, um, all of all of that, the the drive to get to be very very good in anything, I think, is very often driven from within. And if you were a, you know, clinical psychologist, you might be able to probe into somebody's, you know, inner workings enough to figure out where it came from. But a lot of times, you just sort of it just is it's just there. You don't know how it got there. You know, you can have ten kids in a family. One of them has the drive to go on and be whatever. The other nine are just nice people, you know. You know, or, it, or, or go to prison. And, <laughs> and, and and to take that further, and you've worked with so many people over your lifetime, and 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 you know, we Helene and I have too. And one of the things that you see, and we, we used to own an acting company, and we used to see this. I, that's how I can correlate it. We did, you know, shows for 10 years with this acting company. We had a lot of actors come and go. And it's the same way we were just talking about. You have that person that has that innate drive that's just going to let it all out, put all inhibitions down, and go for it. And then you have that person that has so much talent and probably has the drive, but they can't get past the wall that they've put up, that barrier that they put in place. We saw it all the time in acting. They just could not let all out and be as good as they could be. That has to be the most frustrating student you have. Yeah, it's it's like that Calvin Coolidge quote. I don't know if you can find it in there. You know, it's about talent is, you know... Talent is not enough. The world is full of talented derelicts. Genius is not enough. You know, all these different things are not enough. You know, persistence alone is omnipotent, something like that. In other words, the, the willingness to just slog it out day after day after day to go for it, you know, to just get down and go for it. 
And so um, the it's a tricky it's a tricky combination of things. It's partly how how you it's partly parents, it's partly peer pressure, it's partly your coaches, it's partly your um, the books you read, the influences that you had, the movies you may have watched. The you know it's a the, there's a, so many pieces that sort of all kind of coalesce to create that person. Um, I had a, I, I've got a friend here, a guy named Bob Morgan, who's, who's involved in theater, and um, he, he creates costumes, you know, for period costumes. Yep, and yep. he said that he had a very interesting thought, that he, uh, an idea. He said, you know, he had read this, and he said, you know, he said, acting schools produce very often A-list and B-list kind of kids. And a lot of times, the A-list guys, the ones with the towering talent, get agents, and the agents sort of wait around for them to get the plum parts. The B-list guys and girls go to some city like Cleveland, you know, and take any darned acting job they can get. And 10 years later, the B-list people have been out there night after night doing all kinds of stuff, Shakespeare, you know, you know every kind of every kind of theatrical opportunity that came along, and suddenly they are much better and more successful than the A-list people that didn't get their ten thousand hours. Hmm. And that's true of riding. I mean, and it's, that's true it's, of riding. Yeah. you've got to get your butt in those saddles. And and mm. you know, and 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 ride everything and anything and you ride, can. And yeah, and if you read the twenty-three, you know, the twenty-three other people, the riders and drivers, most of them say the same thing. Yeah. Ride, get on horses. It's like Ted Williams. You know that that thing about him. Did you read that part, Helene, about where the guy goes down from Boston down to spring training? Yes. And 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 who's out there after everybody else has gone home? For the it's, day, yeah, taking batting practice, the, the last guy in baseball to hit over 400, Ted Williams. So theoretically, the guy that needed it the least was practicing the most. Yeah, you know that's. But that's and your persistence, and that's so yeah, persistence. Drive, com- that and the, and, drive. and every time you that drive is the foundation of everything else. So when you say educate yourself, add that that body of knowledge, every. Yeah back you sit on is another yeah. lesson learned you're yeah, learning something from every different animal example i mean you know i've i you know one when you write a book you have a certain vested interest in that it does well and one of the things that i find slightly ironic is this everybody thousands and thousands of people in the united states take lessons all the time right and they'll spend anywhere from what 35 40 50 60 70 up to 125 dollars for a lesson yeah and everybody that takes a lesson is taking a lesson theoretically because they want to get good or they want to get better at least. Wouldn't you say that? Yeah, well, absolutely. Yep, you would hope. I'm myself <laughs> I mean, included. You know, you know, so now here's a book called How Good Riders Get Good that's basically by 25 people Sandra Cook, my editor, and me, and the other 23 people that, and it's an analysis of how dozens and dozens of people went through dozens and dozens of processes to become good. And so, but, so one would theoretically think that they would pick up this book for 30 bucks and, and say, okay, now here's like a blueprint. And I could take my magic marker, my yellow underliner, and go through there and say, where am I compared to these people? 
What did they do that I'm not doing? What have I done that they didn't do, right? They would study it with some degree of intellectual curiosity. But most people will never buy that book. And yet they, at the same time, which is like a, a roadmap, and yet at the same time they're trying to get to be better writers or good writers. So it's, it, what is it? Is it an, an anti-intellectualism? What, what is it that prevents people from, you, from taking you know, a tool and using it? I mean, I don't say that in huge frustration, but you know, as an author, you think that a little bit. Well, I think one of the things is there's, um, I don't know, I don't want to say confusion, but uh, what defines good? I mean, that's, that's the big question. Maybe we should back up and say, you know, how good writers get good. Well, what does good mean to you? Good could mean an Olympic gold medal. Good can mean just staying on. Good can mean uh, being relaxed when you go right. out for a trail ride. So there are different definitions of success, different definitions of good. I think your book addresses the traditional definition of success, which is competitive success. So, um, I mean, I was able to take the advice that you have in this book and say, um, and I mean, it's, it's really, it's, it's uh, life lessons that you're teaching here. This isn't just about how to be a technically good rider. This is mm-hmm. how to achieve what you want to achieve. But you first need to define that, don't you? Yeah. You what do, you, what do I want it. to achieve here? Yeah, and I think that another thing that people perhaps don't understand sufficiently is that if you are able to create a support network, anything you try to do is more likely to 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 to, to become possible. You know, and, and um, I mean, to use that example of of Mr. Boyden, you know, at the headmaster of Deerfield Academy, who took over a failing school of 12 kids, you know, when he was 20 years old and at, when he's 21 or two, just graduated from Amherst. And, you know, 66 years later, he's built it into one of the most prestigious, you know, secondary schools in the world through the power of his ability to make people want to help him. And, and I think that, you know, you take, you take so many of the young kids in riding or the young professionals, they don't understand the process of creating a support matrix, you know, and if they did, they would have a much easier time because they would have allies in their quest. You know, that's a good point. I I remember, I mean, I didn't start my writing career until I was pretty much an adult. And, um, you know, you start out with one trainer and you, you kind of think that's the only thing there is, is, uh, you know, riding around in circles on the lunge, maybe doing dressage, and then you accidentally or some other way stumble upon something different. And you say, oh, well, this is good too. And now your your education expands a little bit. And so with each different person you learn from and each dif- different experience that you have, you start to look back on this collection and say, um, oh, God, I lost my train of thought. Oh, this was a good one too. Gosh darn it. You look back and you say, I have, um, you know, I, I learned a little bit from this person and a little bit from that person. And each, each thing I've learned is, uh, is valuable, but it's when you put it all together, when you create a network of your path, of your experiences, that's what makes you good. Like I would be 
half the rider I am had I not had that one instructor who liked to yell, you know, who liked to scream and drive me a little bit harder. But then there was another uh, trainer who was softer and gentler and really appealed to my spiritual side when riding or, or slowed me down, you know, that, that really soft, gentle person who helped me be a soft, gentle rider. I, I, combining that my intensity with this softness and this gentleness has put me in a place in the saddle that is really good for me. But I needed to have those two different people in my life in yeah, order to achieve I, it. I know. That was the same with me. I had, I had Jack Legoff, who was a yeller and a screamer and a high-intensity person, and then Walter Christensen, who was a much more analytical, quiet, introspective, gentle person. And each one of them probably came at the right time in my career, you know, because... But one without the other wouldn't have been as good as the, as the combination of them. And, and I think that one of the things that, I've, that I try to point out here, because I've, I've come to realize this more and more, is that, you know, when I talk about a quiver full of arrows, you know, that, as the analogy that you, you know, like if, you, if you're an archer and you reach back over your shoulder to pull out an arrow out of your quiver, it, it needs to be there, you know, whether, and, and the, those, those arrows are, could be physical skills, they could be emotional qualities. They could be, um, you know, the all kinds of different qualities and skills that together create your ability to become a good rider. I mean, it doesn't do any good to have a agile body if you're trying to do dressage with an aggressive, you know, angry personality. You've got to have a calm, measured, patient um, personality to go with your physical skills. So it's a, it's a combination of, you know, arrows in your quiver, not just physical thing. And it's going to be knowledge. You know, I think it's, it's knowledge. It's a person is a compendium of what they know, what they are physically and what they are in terms of their character and their emotions. And mm. You can shortchange yourself on any one of those in any one of those three areas. I mean, you can be very, very. You can be a great. You can know a ton, and still be an angry person on a horse, or you can be a soft, quiet rider on a horse and very good athlete, but not know anything, because you've never studied or had lessons or read books, or and so you're limited to what you can can achieve. So. The, the really good rider is going to is going to hone her skills in all these different areas is is what I think, and I think a lot of them a lot of people won't start to do that until they realize that they need to do that, and that's, I think a book like this helps them understand the need to do it. Absolutely, I mean this is your this book is your hindsight, and you're yeah. giving your I mean, readers you know, I, the I'm benefit be, of that. Yeah, I'm going to be seventy in August, just, and I could not have written this book when I was fifty, you know. Yeah. Because I was too close to it, I, I, you know, I think I had to get older to be to be able to be reflective enough to think, you know what? There's so many ways that you've got to that you know, and w- when you're in the thick of something, you tend to just drill along, you know, at at whatever it is you're doing, without perhaps stopping back to analyze and to think, what can I do differently? How do I need to approach this differently? What are the different things that I need to acquire in order to do it? 
Boy, and I'll, I'll tell you what, Denny, there's a lot of those things I'd rather not think about in hindsight either, to be honest with you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure we all have those, too. We need to take a break here for, for a commercial, and we're going to be right back. And then I want to talk to you a little bit about a statement that you have. Uh, horse buyers are liars. Let's talk a little bit about that, because we have, we have a wide audience here for this show, and tens of thousands from around the world, and, and some of those people are going to buy a horse right now. So let's talk a little bit about that when we get back. Regular listeners to the Stable Scoop show know that Helena and I just love Uncle Jimmy's and his fantastic line of products. His products have the highest quality ingredients, and that is why they have taken off like they have. Of course, it all started with Uncle Jimmy's hanging balls for use in the stalls, and then came squeezy buns. We know you need to reward your horse outside of the stall as well. That is why Uncle Jimmy developed Uncle Jimmy's Squeezy Buns. Squeezy Buns are all natural and loaded with nutritional ingredients for your horse. Unlike similar products on the market, they are individually wrapped to preserve freshness and eliminate mess. With competitive pricing and Uncle Jimmy's quality guarantee, the Squeezy Buns promise to be a hit among horses and horse lovers alike. Learn more about all of Uncle Jimmy's products or to find a dealer, visit uncle-jimmys.com. That's uncle-jimmys.com. Well, we're back. Uh, you're listening to the Stable Scoop Radio Show. We have a special guest, Denny Emerson, on here today, and and uh, we're we're having a more serious conversation than Helene and I usually do. But it but it's so important and so much fun when we have a guy like Denny on. But I think you two have something in common, you and Helena, and that is, I bet you, Denny at one time rode in the Myopia Hunt once or twice too, because where he used to ride for the United States Equestrian Team was right beside there. I actually. Past the master. Oh. <laughs> you know what? We really do have something in common. <laughs> yeah, I was riding a horse called Cat. My first advanced horse it was like 1971, and I went flying right past. I think it was Mrs. What was that lady's name? Mrs. Air? Uh, no. It was, it was, <laughs> was she before your master. time? It was the field oh. master. It was not good. <laughs> <laughs> Did they send the hounds after you, Denny? Yeah, <laughs> I was I, I was one time riding the uh, Ellis. Masters. Betty Ellis. Betty Ellis. I passed. Oh, okay. Betty Ellis. Yep. Yep. Oh boy. Is she in relation to the Ellises <laughs> that are kidding. still there? Yeah, they're all related. Oh. Yep. <laughs> they they just they breed more field hunters. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Human field hunters. I was riding once the Masters. Uh, re- so semi-retired, eighteen hand, or he was like seventeen two, and in this and I he had this. He was just a brute of a thing, and we went flying by the master one day, and I said, I'm really sorry, but this horse is ready to go. He's used to being in the, in the front, and, you know, thank God everybody was understanding. But uh, you, sometimes you're out there, you just you have to go with the flow. you got to be ready to break some rules, <laughs> especially in Hamilton. So, Denny, why do you say horse buyers are liars? You know, I think that the horse, the horse world basically is – built upon emotional, fuzzy thinking, a lot of it. I mean, when you think about how you come on as a kid, what do you read? You read The Black Stallion, right? Yeah. The Black Stallion is, is, now here you've got, what, how old is Alec Ramsey? He was like 13 or 14 years old, right? This little tiny teenage, you know, freshman in high school who masters this wild stallion and then goes out and wins these races. Um, and you have um, a thousand and one stories just like that. Little little children 
performing miracles with wild horses, you know, even, and so, so we have this fuzzy, unrealistic dream world way of thinking about horses that is sort of drilled into our consciousness. I talk about the fact that, you know, you get up in the morning on Saturday morning and little kids are sitting in front of the television set watching little talking animals, you know, playing and doing things. And, and the whole Walt Disney world is created on the assumption that animals are just like us, except they look different. And so now you're out looking for a horse and you are, if you were really analytical, if you were a real thinker instead of a dream thinker, you would look at yourself and you would say, okay, I am this, I am at this skill level I am at this confidence level, I am at this whatever level, and I need to augment this to reinforce where I'm trying to get, I need a horse that's like this. this I am, I am a, say, a four rider, and I need a four horse that will sort of quietly go along and do what I need to do until I'm a five rider or a six rider or a seven rider or a Bruce Davidson or an eight rider, you know. But you don't do that because you go to buy the, you know, the 15-year-old, 15-two-hand, plain-looking quarter horse gelding, and galloping around in the pasture is a horse, a beautiful gray thoroughbred four-year-old mare that just came off the racetrack, you know, that goes floating along, and you picture yourself galloping around across the finish line at Rolex in three years or four years on this gray ghost, right? Don't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you do. Only it's not a great ghost. It's a Bay Arab cross. <laughs> Whatever it is, right? <laughs> yeah. And you and you, your jets start to rev and you picture yourself doing these amazing things. So which one do you buy? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. The bells and whistles. Yeah. You yep, down, that's right. Yeah. So now you've got this four-year-old in the paddock. You can't catch her. And when you do catch her, when you saddle her up, she's winging all over the place. You go to get on, and what does she do as you put one foot over from the mounting block? She runs sideways. You land on your head, thump, crash, or you do get on, and she runs off with you, and you're scared, and you're terrified, and your hands clutch, and her head comes up in your face, and you know, you're creating a worse monster than she already is because she's so much way more horse than you should have bought. It happens all the time, mm-hmm. and it discourages people from getting better. It scares them. It scares the horse. You know, but it, but it's, and that's why I say buyers aren't always liars, but buyers have a tendency to not really analyze what they need to buy. Well, well that's a tough, that's tricky. I mean, how do you know what you want and how do you know the difference between what you want and that it's not good for you to ride? Well, exactly. Let's face it, emotion gets in the way. And how many times have we gone out horse shopping, but I fell in love with the horse you know, know. after two minutes. By the way, those are the same girls that are falling in love with the bad boys, too. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hey, I, I wasn't a bad boy kind of girl. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you, can, but, you, but you don't, but, you know, you know that line from My Fair Lady? This is one of the best lines ever written. They will ask you for advice. Your reply will be concise. They will listen very nicely, then go out and do precisely what they like. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. so somebody comes to you, Helena or Glenn, and, you know, some friend of yours, some, say, 17-year-old friend, that's a, you know, sort of a novice-level event rider, and says, what, what kind of horse should I buy? And you, 
you know, bring out your big big brother, big sister, you know, serious, mean, and you say you need, and you just tell her exactly what she needs. And then what is she going to go buy? You know, she might take your advice, but she might just do what she wants. And, and it's, that's really tricky. And it, and it probably drives more people away from horses that could have been good than almost any other single thing Mm. is buying the wrong horse or getting, getting stuck with horses that scare them and, and that they can't ride. So should some you think someone else should tell you what to buy? Like I, I would like to rely on someone, you know. Like Glenn's wife has been a, a mentor for me, and yeah. I would trust. And and she's seen me ride extensively. So if she said to me, Helena, this is the kind of horse that you need, I would be inclined now. After I've made a big mistake, I'd be inclined to uh, to really follow her advice. But um, you know, does that mean everybody? needs someone else to, to tell them what, I mean, I think I'm a pretty introspective kind of person and I clearly made a mistake. Um, well, we all make, we, everybody makes mistakes all the time, you know, but, but the biggest, the biggest, the hardest thing is, have you ever noticed this phenomenon? <clears throat> the minute you own a horse, right? You invest that horse with all your hopes and dreams, right? The moment yeah. you buy it and it'll take, you know, to, to pry you loose from your mistake is one of the hardest things there is. Oh, God. I, yes. You're you know, speaking words, right to Helena at this very moment. Well, and she's sitting if, there in her knee brace. Especially <laughs> if you're competitive because it's you, you know, these are one of the characteristics I think that does help make a good rider good is you're competitive, you're persistent. Yep. You know, cha- challenges and obstacles don't dissuade you. They just encourage you to, to try harder. That, that is a very hard thing to let go of. And, you know, that combined with the fact that you, that no man is an island and you really do need uh, help, you need support from other people, you, you know, how do you, you can't go out shopping alone. Like, what would you say to somebody who wants to be a, you know, a successful training level uh, eventer? I want to go out and get a horse. What am I looking for? Well, there's a big, big difference between a very cocky, gutsy, agile lacrosse soccer playing 17 year old girl and her 17 27 37 42 year old unfit mother right there can be right and so i would say the 17 year old you know who plays soccer and field hockey and lacrosse and is a cocky tough brave kid yeah sure be a little be a little out there you know but for the older adult who, you know, doesn't want to get hurt, has lost a lot of her fitness, has a desk job, you know, doesn't, doesn't run and lift weights and do all those things, the same horse that her daughter could ride might terrify and hurt her. Or it could be the other way around. The, the mother could be the tough cookie and the kid needs the quiet horse. So you have to kind of analyze the person. But who's who's responsible for doing that? Like, should you? Because if you the know older that, person, like, don't you think the older person should? Have I do, but doesn't sense? that doesn't that older person need like a trainer who knows them well? Yeah, I mean, you ideally, know, you, yeah. Ideally. So you it means you need to find a trainer and be with one long enough and consistently enough that they know you very well, and then can make a recommendation. I mean, sometimes. It's, uh, I, I know people who bounce around from trainer to trainer because they either can't find a good fit or, uh, you know, trainers up and leave, businesses close down, p- 
priorities change. It's hard to find somebody who really knows how you ride. How quickly can a trainer assess you? Does it take a week? Does it take a oh, year? They can and, tell and mean enough to make a recommendation on what you should buy. One of the things I talk about in that in the book, I spend a lot of time on it, and I'll bet you it's the same thing. You know how when somebody smokes and they walk by and there's a big anti-smoking ad, they take a puff and they look the other way and they walk right by it, right? Because right? they're going to keep smoking, right? So they're not going to listen to all the warnings. I make a big issue in that book about the thing Jack Ladoff said, about what were the three things you have to have in order to be a good rider. What did he say? One, you have to have a good seat. Two, you have to have a good seat. Three, you have to have a good seat, right? <laughs> right? In other words, if you aren't part of the moving, breathing, living horse, if your body can't absorb all the concussive effects that the horse's moving body creates, you're not as good a rider as the people who can, right? Yeah. You can't. So if I, if I have somebody come to my place and I walk and trot and canter and I say, okay, can you drop your stirrups and walk, trot, and canter? And they cross their stirrups and they walk trot and canter and they're just the same as if they had their stirrups what do i know um they're a good rider right 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 yeah okay they're like a little indian kid that i talk about in the book right right they grew up galloping around on a pony right they're part of the horse now well wait a minute let me stop you right there this is this is a very 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 important point so are you saying that a, a baseline for a good rider is someone who can walk, trot, and canter without stirrups as well as they can with if stirrups. You, if you can't get on a horse bareback and walk, trot, and canter, you are not as good a rider as the person who can. Okay. Because you aren't able... Your body isn't attuned to, to leveling out, to nullifying the concussive effects of the movement of that horse. I mean, I'm, I, like I say, I'm about to be turned 70. I could get on a horse today, two broken hips later, and I could, if it was a nice quiet horse, right? I could get on a horse and I could walk, trot, and canter bareback, and I could probably jump little fences bareback. Right? At oh. 70. At 70, right? I could Show off. Either, right? <laughs> right? Yep. Because, yes. Because I'm fit and I'm agile and I learned a long, long time ago, 60 years ago, how to ride without a saddle. So, so if, you, if you can't do that, in other words, I'm a coach, right? And I, I say, okay, sit the trot and they boing, da, boing, da, wham, slam, bang, bouncing all over the place. What do I know? They have not, they have not, Jack Lagoff would look at them and say, by the standards by which I was trained at Samur, riding, you know, the French National Riding Academy, you are not a good rider because you do not have an independent seat. You can't have quiet hands when, when your body is being pummeled by the motion of the horse. Now, Sure, you can post it. By the way, that was the polite way Jack would have said it. Um, Yeah, Yeah, he would have said, there's nothing wrong with that horse except the abscess on his back. Yeah, (laughs) you suck. Right. No, but I mean... That's great. That's the damn, excuse the pun, bottom line. Can you sit? Yeah. Right? Are you part of the motion? And if you're not, then go become that. Right. You can do it. All you have to do is practice. Right? That's right. Don't just look the other way and pretend that part of the book isn't there. 
<laughs> I knew this interview was going to kill me because it's making me want to get out and ride, 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 ride. I knew it. You, I knew it, Glenn. You know, yep. you can you cannot be fit and ride. I mean, the the world is full of not fit people. Yeah. You know, you know, the, you know. The big problem is people have a big. There's there's two F dash T words, right? And one of them makes people crazy. That's the F-A-T word. The other word is F-I-T. I don't care if somebody's fat as long as they're fit. Fit, yeah. They right, can be right. skinny and unfit. They need to get fit. You know, if you're going to be a, a, a rider, is an athlete. By the way, I saw Denny at Rolex. He's still pretty fit. He, what yeah. he said there is true. <laughs> yeah, I am. I'm going to do... I'm venting. I, I, I just... A couple of weeks ago, I rode prelim at, at Hitching Post. It was my 50th consecutive year going prelim. Oh, wow. Congratulations. 50 years in a row, you know, and, and that's, that's because I've stayed fit, and I've been lucky. You know, I haven't gotten hurt too badly. I haven't gotten, given, you know, right. cancer or that's whatever. Right, I mean, right. I'm not saying that's it's, it's, yeah. it's part of it's luck, but part of it is I've just I've stayed at in the game. And, and, um, but but so I don't have a whole lot of sympathy for people that just aren't willing to make themselves into better athletes. They want to be good riders, but see, that's dream thinking. You're not willing to make yourself into a better athlete, but you want to go out and go prelim. Right. I would say become a good athlete, and then prelim should be a breeze. Well, we uh, we have to wrap it here because we've plain run out of time. This has been so fascinating, and we could talk to you all day about a million different topics. But that's partly why you did the book, and we highly encourage people to get the book. It's How Good Riders Get Good uh, by Denny Emerson, and you can find it uh, a number of places. We'll put a link on our show notes and Facebook also to it. And, uh, you know, it's well worth the money. It's worth taking a look at. It got a four and seven eighths flakes uh, out of five from Helena. So that's about as good as we've seen here yet. The only reason she didn't give it a five out of five, Denny, is she found the font annoying. She thought the font was hard to read. So, uh, oh, okay. Well, I didn't have anything. No, to do you didn't have anything part. to do that. We're gonna no, to... <laughs> we made that very clear. Yeah, we're I gonna... think it is such a, a great book. I think it makes a great gift. And I think whether you're 17 or 70, um, there's something to be learned because there, you have lived several lifetimes worth of experience, and it's all in this book. So, uh, well, thanks go out for and get it. your show. I always like it. Um, and um... will you come back again sometime? I will. You right. just let me know. All right. That'll hey, are you great. still running that um, that uh, eventing camp for grown-ups at your farm? I am. All right. Well, I hope to see you up there someday soon. Okay. Well, thanks, guys. All right. Thanks, Denny. Thank you. Well, that was fun, huh? Oh, God. I could ask them a thousand more questions. I know you could, too. I know you were just I was itching. struggling. <laughs> I mean, thank you to our listeners for following along with that hot mess of an interview because I... You know, now I have a list of questions that I wanted to ask Denny, but as Glenn can tell you, every time we get a really big interview on this show, I, I don't know what to do with myself. <laughs> do, he, and, and, and Denny in particular is such, he has so much experience. I mean, he says he's 70, 70 years old, but that's young. And he has, like I said, a gazillion lifetimes packed into that 70 years. Where do you start? What questions do you start with with a man like that? Yeah, and he's lived through the old days of eventing where they did it the hard way. And, you know, where training was not what it was today. He started when things were down and dirty. And 
it was a hard road when he was doing eventing. In the days of Ledger, which is right up by the hunt club he used to hunt at, where they were yep. hunting at Ledger, the first eventing field actually in the United States, the first cross-country course was at Ledger. Yep. And, uh, you know, those we got to post that video of Ledyard. I think it's oh, 1972 yeah, yeah, or 77. Yeah, yeah. I That's have a right. link somewhere. I put it up on uh, Chronicle. Penny might even be in that video. <laughs> so. I think he might be. <laughs> yeah. But that is, we need to find that and post it. Yeah. Um, and then we need to have him back on because I want to have a conversation with him about how, if it's even possible, to somehow return to that level, that level of quality. Of riding. Okay, because gotcha. And he'll have something that. to say about that. <laughs> yeah, how good riders get good? Well, let's redefine what good is and, and where can we, where, I, I think that should be Denny's legacy. Is What do we need to do? What does the next generation need to do in order to, for us to be good, really good, like they were in the old days? Yep. And he is, he is a, a you know, he is one of the legends of the sport of eventing, no question. For goodness sakes, he's 70 years old and he's still riding prelim. I know, and he's, and he, and he's a legend already. <laughs> I mean, so, I, uh, there you go. Uh, there you I go. I hope just to be able to get on when I'm 70. <laughs> hey, I hope to get on when I'm 43. By the way, he's in damn good shape, and he was running all over Rolex like a crazy nut. I think he walked the cross-country course about three times, so... Um, you know, he, he is in very good shape. Well, that's Denny Emerson. You can find the book. We'll put links to it in our show notes. We do have to wrap up here today. Don't forget to listen to the morning show, Horses in the Morning, 9 a.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday, and listen to Tack and Habit. We talked this week. Go over to check out tackandhabit.com. We talked this week about perk, not perky jerky. Oh, boy. But jockey. Jockey jerky. I made Helena jealous because I was eating it while we were talking. <laughs> jockey jerky. Find out what jockey jerky is over on Tack and Habit Show. We need and, horse radio network jerky. And <laughs> also on Tack and Habit, you can find out why Helena is so darn happy this week because she's got a new toy to play with. And you'll find out what that is on tackandhabit.com. For details about today's show... Go to StableScoop.com. You'll find links, photos, and more information about Denny Emerson. And you know we love your feedback, so log on to Facebook and like us. You can find us at StableScoop. We also tweet every once in a while, and you can find us on Twitter at Horse Radio. And, of course, you're always welcome to leave us feedback at StableScoop.com front slash contact. All right, that's it, everybody. Oh, you know what? The cool new closing's not on the bottom. Oh... Well, right. Say goodbye, Helena. All right. Goodbye, Glenn. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next week.